Thank you guys so much. That was just a real treat. Uh, so, so it reminded me of a story that's been told about uh, Billy Graham towards the end of his life, uh, breathing some of uh, his last breaths, living some of his last days in Boone, North Carolina, uh, being racked by Parkinson's disease. And, and those that were uh, trying to write down some of the things that Graham had to say is just a few last pearls of wisdom. And, and, uh, and so uh, uh, an, an author, someone who's doing research in his life, just asked him a question, a very simple question, said, Dr. Graham, do you have any regrets, just, just any regrets in life? And Graham thought about it for a moment, and, and he said, yeah, I, I have maybe just one regret. He said, my regret is that I didn't take more time to tell Jesus that I loved him. And that's just what we've done right now. So it's like we've done the best stuff. You know, like, that's, that's already happened. So I think the rest of the days is going to be gravy. Uh, and it's going to be great, but, but we've done the, the best stuff. Uh, now, a couple of housekeeping items before uh, we, I, I share with you. Just a couple of really quick things. One is in preparation uh, for tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be uh, talking about tending uh, the garden of your soul as it pertains to uh, marriage and family matters. And so we're going to have uh, Matt help with that, and Dana, my wife, and Kurt and Rhonda are going to help as well. But in order uh, for us to make that a good, uh, we're going to need your help, and here's how you can help us. Uh, we'd love to uh, just to talk about what it is that you want to talk about tomorrow when it comes to uh, marriage and family life in the context of pastoral ministry. So uh, what you can do, uh, either at lunchtime or at dinner time, is come find Dana and I. Uh, we'll be seated at the table. Just come interrupt us. Uh, and, uh, and what we'd love to do is to hand you a uh, note card and a pen. And if you would just take a moment just to write down what it is that you'd like to see us talk about, maybe a question that you have. Uh, regarding uh, that topic, and then you can go ahead and slip it in an envelope that we have, and then we're going to kind of synthesize that tonight and try to do some home cooking for tomorrow morning. That's what uh, one of the things we're uh, uh, fixing to do, okay? So I know not every one of you will uh, participate in that, and some of you are like maybe even thinking like, shoot, you know what? I don't know if I really have a whole lot of connection with that because, uh, you know, maybe you're not married or you don't have kids, but, you know, just, you know, we know that, that you know people that do, Right? And, uh, and so that's, that's just all a part of our story. And so uh, if you'd want to help us uh, in contributing to that, uh, we would just be really grateful uh, for your help. Um, second thing is, uh, this afternoon, is that I've been told that there is pickleball in the ark from one to three. And, uh, and I wanted to let you know is that my wife and I brought our pickleball paddles up. We brought our stuff up because we knew that there would be pickleball. Okay, so, uh, so we wanted to extend an invitation uh, to two types of pickleball players. One, if, uh, pickleball players and you've never played. Uh, we, uh, Dana and I just love teaching people the game. And so if you've never played pickleball and you'd like to learn, is that we'd love to take time with you. you we usually take uh, uh, about 30 minutes. It gets uh, about 30 minutes of working with people to get them to where they're playing a game and it's competitive. And so if that's something you're interested in, we'll see you at the Arc at 1 o'clock. Or if you are uh, a, uh, a pickleball player and you've got some experiences, that uh, we would invite you to come out as well because, because we want to open up a can of whoop on you. And uh, love to play, uh, and so anyway, we'll be from the Ark from 1 to 3. And that's the only time I think that we're going to be playing pickleball this week because the youth group is coming in, and, uh, and, and so we just want to let you know that. All right, so uh, what I wanted to do is uh, start off our time together with a question, and the question is this. Do you remember where you were on March 20, 2020? All right, so if, if some of you, if you need some help from the date, is that that was the day that the governor of California put into uh, motion 
the shelter-in-place order, okay? So, all right, so, so can you think about where you were, maybe what you were doing, maybe who you're with? All right, now what I'd like you to do is to stand up, maybe find somebody that maybe you don't know or, you know, somebody new, maybe somebody that's on the, uh, you know, in front or back of you, and tell them where you were on March 20, 2020. Ready? Go. I'm serious. Go ahead and stand up and do it. <laughs> I'm actually serious. Oh, by the way, this is a one-minute exercise. All right, just a few more seconds, gonna go ahead and wrap things up. Everybody's got a story, right? Or some people have a story. <laughs> uh, I know that for some of you, is that all those days just like are a blur, right? Some of you are trying to forget that day. Sorry that I brought it up. But, 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 but here's the thing, I mean, you know, remember, you know, some of you remember, you know, that day and, and remember that whole thing that went down. And, you know, you, you remember them saying, you know, it's only for two weeks, they said, right? It was based on the latest science, they said, you know, I mean, they said that. And, uh, and so it goes. But, you know, for, for Dane and I, is that where we were was that we were on the other side of the globe on March 20th, 2020, is that we were in uh, Indonesia. And, uh, and we were there with a, uh, with a short-term team, uh, a team of six people. Every March for the last five years, we've taken a team of six uh, to the, the island that my son lives and serves at. It's a small island in Indonesia. About a half a million people live on his side of the island. And, uh, and we take a team there uh, for about 12 days. And, uh, and, the, and we uh, share Jesus with Muslims. And we surf world-class reef breaks. Okay, so win-win. Uh, on that, and, uh, and it's uh, a great time, but we were there uh, with this team, and, uh, and before we left on the trip, I think we left on March 8th, and people began to warn us, they said, you know, weird things are happening, you know, in the world with this, they call it the coronavirus, you know, and so, you, you know, you should probably not go, and of course, you know, we went, and, uh, and jumped in the plane, <clears throat> 30 hours of travel later, uh, finally, we get into a place where our phones work again, and our phones begin to blow up, you know, because there's some news happening and going on, which, you know, for us, the most foreboding piece of news was they, they suspended the NBA, you know, which was, you know, that was rough for us. Uh, you know, we're, we're Clipper fans, by the way, uh, so there's a long story there um, that we don't have for now, but I know, we just, we, and we love dogging on the Lakers, because this is the year, baby, but... Uh, but, but we were over there, uh, you know, when things began to shut down, began to shut down, began to shut down. And then we got word uh, on the 20th that they were going to do the shelter-in-place thing. And we wouldn't be able to uh, maybe find food at the grocery stores. And for sure, you wouldn't be able to find toilet paper. And so that was a big thing. And, and we were hearing about, you know, all the crazy stuff that was going on back home. But, but we were just nestled nicely at that time um, on the island of Bali and, uh, and just, you know, kind of just waiting uh, for us uh, uh, to jump on a plane and, and return in about two days. And uh, it was at that time that my son's missions organization began to inform all the missionaries that uh, uh, worked in that country that they said, hey, if you want to go home, now's the time to go home. And, and most of them did. 
but my, my son, we asked my son, we said, so Austin, what are you going to do? And he said, he says, uh, I prayed about it. This is, I'm, I'm going to stay. And uh, we thought, whoa, well, you know, do, 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 does that seem like a wise thing for you to do? He says, yeah, I, I think I'm going to be okay here. He said, you know, he, he said, um, he said uh, the only thing that might put me in danger here is civil unrest. Like, you know, if there'd be riots in the street or, or a mob that would be attacking a government building, you know, stuff that would never happen in the United States. <laughs> he said, I'd be good. Uh, I'd, I'd be good. And so he stayed and we left and, uh, and we uh, landed at LAX and the place was empty. You know, there were tumbleweeds blowing through the terminal. Uh, got on the 405, you know, and there was no traffic on the 405, which, you know, never happens. Uh, and, you know, we get home, and we begin to shelter in place. And, uh, and you know the problem with sheltering in place. There's nothing to do, right, you know, during that time. You're, I mean, there wasn't, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the, uh, the beaches are closed. The national forests are closed. Uh, the movie theaters are closed. Uh, you know, stores are closed. Uh, everything's closed, right? The church is closed. There's nothing to do. And so, and so we come to find out, and, and you know, we've seen this, is that... Uh, because people didn't have anything to do, is that they began to binge-watch TV shows, right? Do, do, do you remember some of the big TV shows that got binge-watched around the time? Tiger King? Remember Tiger King? You know, people that you know, you know, watch Tiger King. I know, not you, but other people, they watch Tiger King, right? And, uh, and then, uh, uh, again, a sport fan, you know, remember the ESPN documentary on Michael Jordan and the Bulls? You know, there hadn't been uh, sports on TV because all the leagues were canceled. And, uh, and, you know, we were like, you know, just, a, you know, like a, a starving person, you know, grabbing a crumb of bread, you know, watching the MJ documentary. And I got to tell you, I, I'm not much of a TV guy and, uh, you know, especially not a binge watch guy. And, and it has been my practice up to that point to make fun of people that binge watch uh, until I had a friend of mine. He was a friend named Dan and uh, a backpacker friend of mine. He does a John Muir trail with Dan and I. And he said, hey, I've been binge-watching this TV show that I think that you might like. And so he turned us on to this TV show right here called Alone. How many of you have seen Alone? Go ahead and raise your hands, raise them high. So about half of you, 50% of you. Okay, so we, be, we got sucked in, all right? <laughs> totally sucked in. There were like six episodes, you know? And we were trying to be godly about it, right? Had our quiet time, you know, time of the Lord, you know? And, and then did our thing, and then, you know, our, our treat at the end of the, of, of the day would be to, you know, binge watch a couple of episodes. And, uh, and for those of you that, uh, that don't know uh, uh, the premise of the show, it, it works like this, is that they select 10 people, and they drop them in some far-flung place like Patagonia or British Columbia or the Canadian Arctic, and that they, uh, they drop them in the wilderness. They space them out about 10 miles from each other. They drop them with a whole uh, a case of, of uh, filming equipment, cameras. And, uh, and then they just see how long they'll last. Uh, uh, they'll last by themselves, fighting the element. Winter's always coming. Uh, and, uh, and, and then the person that is the last one remaining wins a half a million dollars or some such. And, uh, and so that's, that's the way the show uh, works, and, uh, it, and it just, just sucked us in. Uh, we just loved, you know, watching it, and, uh, and that we noticed something as we got into about the fourth or fifth season, is the people that began to be the participants in the show, you know they were watching previous years, and so they learned the stuff to bring. The first episode, by the way, that you're, uh, everybody is, um, 
is uh, able to bring 10 items, uh, 10 survival items, 10 bushcrafty items. And so the first year, people are bringing all kinds of different sorts of odd stuff. But by the year five or six, is uh, uh, that everyone's kit looked like something like this. Um, uh, you'll notice here's uh, some 10 items. And on the top, invariably, people would bring a bow and arrow set. They, they bring a bow and arrow set. It, it, it became probably the most critical item that a participant would bring because, um, because you see, if you were to survive, your bow was your lifeline. If your bow failed, you failed. And, and a critical um, factor for keeping that bow useful is to periodically, I am told, loosen the bowstring. See, see if that bowstring was kept at maximum tension, is that you could bet money that it would eventually break. Now, here's why we're talking about this. Because you and I, everyone in this room, has been, I believe, in the last couple of years at maximum tension. We've been at maximum uh, tension. Uh, you know, over the last couple of years, the bowsprings of pastors have been at maximum tension, primed and ready to snap. Now, here's, here's uh, why I know this. I know this by uh, talking with pastors, both pastors on the pastoral team that Dane and I serve on, and also pastors all throughout the country that we get a chance to connect with and serve um, through our time with Standing Stone Ministries. You know, we've been talking to these people, and that we've just recognized that has been the condition of their lives. And so, so we know that through the stories, but we also know that through the data. Uh, some of you might uh, uh, know that uh, Barna uh, Research Group did a, a whole survey about pastors, and uh, one of the things that uh, Barna uh, uncovered through the series that 43% are considering leaving the ministry. This is just right, you know, post-COVID. Uh, you know, this is the most recent statistics that came out, and they compared this survey to, to the same survey that they did pre-COVID, where it was about 28%. And so you can see the spike and see the jump. Uh, and then they, they broke it down. They broke it down as for the reasons why. Um, and, and, uh, and as you notice here is that uh, 56% of them uh, said it was because of stress. Uh, another 43% said it was because of loneliness. A number, another 38% said because it was po political divisions. And, number, uh, and then 28% said that it was for the next one is the toll ministry takes on their family, actually 29%. Now this last one, this last one, hey, that's going to be tomorrow, okay? So you don't want to miss tomorrow because we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, that one uh, tomorrow. And, and so you, you kind of look at this and just going like, what's going on? I, I, mean, I mean, why are so many not able to have the resilience, the staying power to continue? Well, I think there are some reasons why. Uh, so there, some, some reasons that I uncovered uh, was from a guy named Tom Rayner. Maybe, maybe you're familiar with him. He's like the Lifeway guy. Um, he's got this uh, uh, this uh, website, I think, that's called uh, Church Answers, uh, and, and he wrote a book uh, called The uh, Post-Quarantine Church, and, and, uh, and in this book is that he just lists out some reasons why it is uh, that pastors, ministry people, are seriously considering hanging it up. Uh, number one, he said, pastors are weary from the pandemic, just like everybody else. You know, I mean, it's just been a really tough um, season of life. And, that, you know, pastors are, are looking for a return to normal. And yet, I think that in their hearts, as they're recognizing that that normal is never really going to happen again. 
The second thing that Rainer talks about, number two, is that pastors are greatly discouraged about the fighting taking place among church members about the post-quarantine church, yeah? Okay? Now, even though that this might be some months in the, in the rear view, but you remember the fights about masks or no masks, about uh, meeting online versus meeting in person, about social distance uh, versus no social distance, about uh, using the platform to talk about political or social issues or not. And, uh, and even though those things are in our rear view for a while, is that our people haven't forgot what it is that we did or we did not do. And so pastors are discouraged about that. Number three, number three is that pastors are discouraged about losing members in attendance. You know, you know that it's a real buzzkill to have less people in your church than you did two years ago. I don't know if that's been your church's experience. It's been my church's experience. Uh, it's a real buzzkill to preach to an empty room, you know, to, to, to have an empty room, to have an empty Sunday school classroom or an empty nursery. Um, it, it is a real discouraging thing. It's affected us. And, and, uh, and I know that there are some voices that are out there, uh, people that are saying, hey, pastor, you just need to get over that. This is your pride speaking. You just care about numbers. You know, we don't care about numbers. We care about people. And we care about the, the spiritual condition of, of, of their souls. And so it's been a, a, real, a, a real problem. Number four, number four, uh, here's another one. Uh, pastors don't know if their churches will be able to support ministries financially in the future. Okay, so this is a big thing, especially for those of you that are here today that are lead pastors. Um, I was a lead pastor for 10 years. Um, Matt continues to be a lead pastor. And that I believe that there's, it's just kind of the way that we do church in North America, that there is just a, a real special burden and weight that uh, our lead pastors carry, especially when it comes to this, is they're wondering how it is that the finances are doing and the finances are doing because they've got staff that they love and they don't want to lay off their staff. They don't want to let go of their staff. And, and uh, man, I tell you what, uh, if you uh, are not a lead pastor, pray for your lead pastor because that is a real heavy thing that lead pastors go through. Number five, uh, number five, another reason is uh, pastors, number five, uh, number five, Criticism against pastors increased significantly. Uh, uh, Rainer surveyed some pastors, and one pastor says it's been about five times, you know, the amount of criticism uh, that we get. Because, because here's the thing: is that you know people are kind of ticked off, right, uh, in our community, in our uh, in our state, in our country, and oftentimes the pastor becomes the lightning rod for people's angst. And then this last one, number six. Number six, uh, the workload for pastors has increased greatly. Okay, so not only do we have to be on top of our game theologically or organizationally, but, but now suddenly with uh, the post-pandemic uh, churches that we have all of a sudden had to become e uh, experts in the digital space, experts in, in media. And so, so we've already got a ton of stuff on our plate, but, but now there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's gotten added on our plate. And so the workload... Uh, the workload can just be crushing. And, uh, and, and through all of this is that we've seen the bowstring get tighter and tighter and tighter until it snaps, un until it breaks. And we've seen this happen to some of the best of us. And, and we also have seen it happen centuries and centuries ago with some of the best back then. Uh, you'd have to say that, that one of the best back then as, as a spiritual leader, as a spiritual leader uh, for God's people, 
was a man named Elijah. And we're going to take the rest of our time just kind of walking through his story a little bit. Let's go ahead and, 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 and talk about Elijah, shall we? And as you do, go ahead and take your scriptures and turn to 1 Kings 19. We're going to be in 1 Kings 19. Um, and as we do, you know, we're going to talk about Elijah, very familiar character, very familiar story. Um, Matt is, uh, uh, is uh, taking us through uh, the book of Jude. Not everyone has preached through Jude. Everyone has preached through this passage and the passage before that, the chapter before that. Everyone's preached it. Everyone's taught it. You know, from little kids, Sunday school, all the way to adults, okay, we're really familiar uh, with Elijah. It's okay for us to re they'll revisit his story because, you know, Elijah's this really interesting character. James tells us that he was a man just like us. He was a human with a nature just like us. That, that was James' commentary, and, and, and then we see that particularly as James' exhortation for us to, to really lean into God in prayer, but as we're hearing that he's a man just like us, we just know that there's some things that are about Elijah that are just so unlike us. For example, him showing up when Christ was transfigured, okay? You know, that's not just something that happens to every Everybody. It only happens, you know, to two guys, right? Moses and Elijah. Moses, the one who represents the law, and then Elijah, the one who represents, you know, the prophets and, you know, in being there. Uh, we also know that Elijah is a, a whole different category with how it is that, you know, he left this place, right? Okay, most of us are going to leave in a pine box. He leaves in a fiery chariot, all right? Like, what a way to go. Um, that's what uh, Elijah is about, and, uh, and that we know that Elijah... Uh, as we take a look at 1 Kings 19, is that you know what happens the chapter before. The chapter before is this place where Elijah, just as this stud, uh, is, uh, is, is in this place of overwhelming victory, isn't he? You know, on Mount Carmel. Uh, you can imagine that day, right? The adrenaline that's flowing through his body. Um, as, uh, as he gathers the people together, as he rebukes the prophets of Baal, as he soaks that altar, repairs it and soaks it, not once, not twice, but three times. And then as he prays and fire comes down and consumes, you know, the meat and the wood and the stones and the dirt and then just licks up the water as well. We all know the story. And we all know the story about, it, you know, towards uh, sunset, towards the end of that day. Uh, that incredible day is that, uh, you know, here's Elijah seeing the fist, the size of a man's hand, a little cloud in the horizon, okay, and just watching and watching again, watching again, and after three and a half years, it begins to rain. This super drought that was uh, evoked by the disobedience of God's people has been broken, and it begins to rain, and, he, and, and we know Full of adrenaline is that he, he, uh, he, uh, he beats uh, King Ahab's chariot down the mountain. I, I mean, we know these things. We know the victory. We, we know the victory, and yet we also know in 1 Kings 19, it says, and soon thereafter, <laughs> due to the death threats from Queen Jezebel, verse 3, but Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Uh, so, so, so he, he goes uh, to the wilderness uh, about a, a day's journey from Beersheba, and he, and he posts up under a broom tree, you know, just barely enough shade for him. And, and, and you see, and you know the story, what God does next, is that God provides for him what he needs most in that moment. Elijah gets a snack and a nap. 
That's it. You know, and by the way, the, the snack stuff, that wasn't the first time God did that to him. But, but he gets what it is that perhaps you and I need as well this week. Um, a snack and a nap. Maybe that is the most sanctified thing that God wants to do in your life this week. And, and you know, Jason Andrews has already talked a little bit about that, cast some vision for that yesterday, but he was saying, you know what, is that, man, you know, hope and prayer is that you sleep well and that you refresh, and, you know, our hope and prayer is that you enjoy the meal time and that, you know, some of you guys, we just see you leaning in, which is fantastic, you know. I was talking to Kaiser, it's like, I slept until 7 this morning. It's like, well, what do you mean? He says, oh, I usually wake up at 4 or 5, you know, it's just like zonked out, you know. This dude needs a nap. And, uh, and God's providing, and, and maybe God's providing for you um, in that way, too. Some good food, some good rest, some good sleep. But then, but then you know is that Elijah, he, he continues onward, doesn't he? He continues onward from there on, on a 40-day journey uh, from where he's at, 200 miles, maybe from Beersheba. Uh, and, and we know that he drops off his servant, you know, beforehand, and so he is alone. He's in the wilderness alone, and he's going to a place called Horeb, the ancient uh, name for Mount Sinai, and, and, uh, and it's there that God asks such a fun question. He says a fun question, you can take a look at it in uh, verse 10, or verse 9 rather, it says, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, so what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, you know, and, and as he asked that question, as he asked that question, <laughs> Elijah just pours out all his raw and real emotions and his self-pity, right? All that. I mean, you know, so we can see Elijah at this point, he is firmly in the 43%, right? He's firmly ready to hang it all up. He is. And then the Lord announces, the, the, the Lord announces uh, in verse 11, he says, uh, so I'm going to stop by. <laughs> I'm going to show up. And we know what happens next. Elijah's in the cave, and he goes out to the, to the mouth of the cave, and he begins to experience the wind. But you know, is that the Lord wasn't in the wind. Uh, and then he experiences this tremendous earthquake. <laughs> the Lord wasn't in the earthquake either. And then there's this fire. I mean, who knows where that came from, but the Lord wasn't in the fire but then, but then, you know, you know. But then a gentle whisper. The King James Version renders that as a still, small voice. The reason that it does so is because um, it's a mashup of three Hebrew words. Voice, silent, small. <laughs> and, uh, and we know that as that moment occurs, you know, there's no commentary, right? There's, there's none really needed because the author is just implying that you know, that we all know, that this is the most important thing of all, the most important way that God meets Elijah. You, you see what's going on here? His bowstring is getting loosened. His bowstring is getting loosened. And, and, and you know, um, as we're in a fight, as Matt mentioned last night, uh, for that fight, we need to loosen our bowstring. We need to find rest so that we may gain strength. Uh, you know, and it's, I believe it's important for us to weave this in, 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 into our lives. 
and, and I, I think that as we think about the, the course of our lives is that I think that we would all check off and, and agree that it's important for us to rest and it's important for us to eat well and wisely and it's very, very important for us to carve out time to hear the voice of God. And, and, uh, and I've seen that play out in the very short time that I've gotten to know many of you because I've seen uh, or heard, rather, that for many of you is that you've worked this pastor's conference into the rhythm of your, of your life but because you've recognized that this is a really good space for that, good space to do those three things, um, resting, napping, eating, um, eating wisely, and then, you know, this whole hearing the still small voice of God so great um, that, uh, that we don't have uh, uh, phones that work up here and, you know, Wi-Fi you have to pay for, very limited. We suggest that you not do it. Um, and we, it's pastors, ministry people, is that we know that these are things that we need to do and, and yet do we find ourselves still being in a place where we're exhausted because we've neglected this. Uh, as, as we seek to contend is that we haven't tended the garden of our own soul. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, I'll just personalize it um, for me. When, uh, when I begin to neglect those things, um, it's because uh, uh, of the excuse that I give. It's a three-word excuse. I'm too busy to do that stuff. Uh, I've got important work to do. I'm too busy, uh, and so I'm just going to have to put my head down, and I'm just going to have to move forward because there's just too many balls that I'm dr- uh, juggling to really um, dedicate time and attention to rest and connection with God. Now, th- now I know that, that this is, again, one of those things where we would su- prescribe this for other people, but oftentimes when it comes to our own lives, we fall a little bit short. Now, why is that? Well, I'll just personalize it. I, I can tell you why. Um, it is that I'm too busy. Number one, uh, and this is, by the way, uh, two things that I'm going to share with you from uh, an author named Eugene Peterson, who perhaps you know, um, who wrote a book called The Contemplative Pastor. Perhaps you've read it. When he's talking about the busyness of pastors, he says, that, he says, number one is that pastors say that I'm too busy because they are vain, because they like being busy. They like the feeling of a parishioner coming to them and saying, Pastor, can I get some time with you? And for you to pull, uh, pull out your phone, look at your calendar and say, I can book you in you know, three weeks from now. Is that we like that feeling because it makes us feel important. And then uh, the other thing that Peterson says about why we're too busy, uh, number two, is because, because uh, I'm lazy. I'm lazy, and you're like, what do you mean lazy? I'm not lazy. Well, well in other words, is that I am too lazy to take a hold of my life and to take a hold of the, the, uh, the things that God has asked me to steward my time and my energy, and that I just fritter away and give it away in a very helter-skelter um, way that doesn't have focus. And, and so, so, guys, here's why, here's why we're talking about this. Here's why we're talking about this is that <laughs> if you and I, are going to stay the course, is that we got to be, be serious uh, about these things. And, and when I say serious about these things, you know, uh, th- this week is a, a real good week to get serious about this. Great place, context to get serious about this. We've got four days uh, together to really lean into this. But then as we go home, is that my challenge to all of us is to begin to consider um, how it is that we can make some small course corrections 
um, that, that we can develop some new habits, that we can develop some more uh, and better muscle memory when it comes to resting well, when it comes to eating wisely, and especially when it comes to hearing the still, small voice of God. And there's going to be a challenge, right? It, it's it's, it's going it's, it's to, to take, I think, uh, for us some real focus um, to be able to lean into this. But, I, but let's agree together that, uh, that we can just start small. Uh, and my, so my challenge to you today is, uh, it, or, or before you leave Hume, is to begin to think about maybe just one thing, just one thing that you could do to be able to say, I think that I can trust God and move more towards a place of, uh, of health uh, and a place of care um, so uh, that I can contend for the faith as I am tending for the garden of my, my soul. Something that you can do to rest better uh, than you're doing, being wiser in that, something you do to eat better, to be wiser in that, and, and also something you can do to hear the still small voice. And that's going to be, I think, the biggest challenge of all because, you know, there's just so much racket in our world, right? I mean, you know, just think about your phone, you know, your notifications, the uh, podcasts that are on my phone. I love podcasts. You know, I, I know that I can go uh, uh, an entire day where I've always got something in the background, whether it's a podcast or my Spotify playlist or, you know, I'm on the phone or on computer, you know, just we're always on our screens. But to be able to, uh, to, be able to become committed and dedicated to put those things down, to carve some things out and spend some really quality time uh, with God. And, uh, and it's important that we do, and, and here's why. Uh, back, back to alone. Um, there's a, I think it was in the season six. Um, in season six is that we find uh, this guy, his name is, uh, I think his name is Clay Hayes. And, uh, and he was a contestant uh, on a loan, and uh, he was this guy that was doing great um, all throughout uh, the, uh, the series. Um, people were dropping out. They were tapping out. That's what happens, by the way. You get on a satellite phone, and, uh, and you call into home base. You say, I'm officially tapping out, and they send a helicopter to get you or a boat to get you. But this guy was stout, man. You know, his, uh, his sat phone was nowhere to be seen. He was thriving and doing well until winter came. It began to snow, and then food began to become scarce, and he began to starve. Um, he, he knew that he was losing um, dexterity in his muscles and, and his nerves, is that he knew that he was in danger of, of having a tap out for medical reasons, and, and, and yet um, he also knew is that if he was able to use his bow and arrow to bag a big animal, Okay, not a squirrel or not a grouse, not a porcupine, but we're talking like a bear or a moose or a muxox. Is that he knew that if, if, if he could use his bow, and he was an expert bowman to take down a big animal like that, is that he'd be home free, a half a million dollars would be his, and he would have the fame and notoriety of winning season six of the loan. But then as, uh, as that particular episode plays through, is that we come to realize that he has made a, uh, um, a, a, a discovery. And, and the discovery was this, as, as, as he began to, uh, to hunt prey, and he'd go for days just stalking prey and tracking uh, and hoping for a big animal, is that he began to notice, because he was practicing his bow, is that because he was so depleted, is that he didn't have the strength any longer to take the bow and pull the string back to fire the arrow. And so out comes the sat phone. It says, hey, this is Clay, I'm tapping out. And so you know <laughs> where we're going with this, right? Is that you and I, if we were to contend for the faith, if we were to fight the good fight, are going to need to have the strength to be able to pull back that bow 
and fire that arrow at the appointed time. So may God give us that strength as, as, as we just simply, as we simply find rest so that we might gain strength both here at Hume this week, but especially as we go back to our homes and our churches and our ministries. Matt, would you come up and pray for all of us as we finish out our time today? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pause and I want to thank you um, for Lyle's encouragement to all of us, but I want to thank you for his encouragement to me. Um, he has modeled this well for me for a long time, Lord, and you know that. And I'm grateful for that Paulish kind of influence in my life. And I think about this morning Paul telling Timothy, keep close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. And Lord, I, as in this moment, I just, I'm just thinking in a room full of pastors, it, we, we keep close watch on our doctrine. It's so important to us, and it is. I pray this morning that we would pay attention to the things that Lyle has shared with us, to the things that you have shared with us through him and through this story of, well, this account of Elijah. I pray that you would give us the grace to keep close watch on ourselves. Lord, as I pray that, I'm even thinking it's, it feels so in, counterintuitive to us, to me. I want to pour my life out for the sake of others. I want to sacrifice. You know, I want to lay my life down. I want to take up my cross. Uh, all of those imageries that we have, we don't want to be selfish. We want to be selfless. The self-care and the tending of our soul, it just seems so counterintuitive. And yet, Lord, I, it's the first thing. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Lord, the scripture reminds us of these things. We were to tend and to keep the things that we were to steward in the garden, and yet we ourselves are created in your image and likeness. We are the height of creation. The first thing we ought to tend to and steward is our own lives. Forgive us for not tending and keeping our own lives, our own souls. I pray you'd give us the grace these next few days to, to make a little progress in tending and keeping. And Lord, would you, would you nourish and would you tend and would you keep um, us in ways that only you can? Would you help us to sense your presence, caring for us, tending us, keeping us, nourishing us, resting us. And we thank you for the invitation to this. It is a holy endeavor, and we appreciate the invitation. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.